Welcome to the RSP cast. I'm Matt Waldman with the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. We're going to do a solo cast this week. I apologize to those of you who are expecting a podcast of Scout Talk last week, but both Russ Landy and I were busy. Um, Russ Landy just accepted an opportunity to be the head of U.S. Scouting for the Montreal Alouettes, which not 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 quoting him, but um, I, I would say that position is probably a good stepping stone for a GM job at some point. So congratulations to Russ. And Russ will continue to uh, do Scout Talk podcasts with us um, throughout this season and hopefully moving forward too. Um, but he was just you know, having to get ready for the NFL and CFL drafts and especially after you know work moving over from the Cal- Calgary Stampeders now to the Montreal Oets, you know, it was a bit of a jump and certainly wanted to give him the opportunity to get acclimated. And I was wrapping up running backs anyway, so I figured it would be a good time this week to do a running back solo episode. And so that's what we're going to do today. Um, before we get started, listen, if you are relatively new to this podcast, say the past season or so, and you've been on the fence about getting the rookie scouting portfolio, let me just put it to you this way. I keep saying this pretty much wherever I um, do podcasts or whenever I tout the rookie scouting portfolio here, but just go to mattwaldmanrsp.com and read about it. And what you read about it may seem like hype and a little bit of buzz in terms of the way that I you know, present it. But it's by far the best work that I do in this space. If you like what I do in the podcast, if you like what I do with fantasy football, you like what I show on Twitter and on YouTube, the RSP publication blows all of that away. All that I do is basically prep work for that publication that I've been putting together since 2006. Anyone who has read this publication, who's a you know a regular customer, they will tell you the first time they got this, they were blown away. They were shocked at what they got, even after reading, you know, kind of what I do to advertise it. So go check that out. All right, so let's get started with this brain dump of an episode on running backs. I've watched, oh, I think close to 50 running backs um, this season for the 2021 NFL draft. And I think one of the bigger questions that everyone wants to know is how does this class stack up to the previous class? And just from eyeballing my scores thus far, and and certainly we don't have a combine to refine a lot of that. So I'm hoping that some of the workout information will come before I put out at least the pre-draft publication. If not, then I'll probably adjust the scores if necessary um, for I, you know, individual situations for the post draft because I'm sure we'll get enough pro days and pro day time, pro day times and measurements um, at that point before the draft. So keep that in mind if you're an RSP subscriber um, and you have dynasty rookie drafts or redrafts, you know, in the late spring, early summer. Uh, it seems like more and more people are doing that. Um, but this class overall. I would say the top of the class, there's, I'd say there's three to four players that I would put on par with the top three or four players I graded in 2020's class. Um, and then I think that there are a lot of players where the best way to put it is it's kind of volatile. 
And what I mean by volatile is beyond the idea of where they match up and fit with a team because certainly fit makes a big difference with certain players. But when I'm talking just pure talent, there there's a, a group of players at this position who, if they fix one thing or just mature in one way or or grow athletically in one direction because maybe they're coming out a little bit earlier than they should. But if they can make it through that first year of acclimation, keep their confidence and develop, there's, you know, there's like four to six players that I think could emerge as lead backs or starters if given the right opportunity. But they're the same players who I could see within two, three years they're either out of the NFL or they're just permanently labeled reserves at best. Um, so it's kind of volatile because they're interesting talents, um, but they don't necessarily have it all together at this point yet. Um, a guy who I think right away who fits this is Memphis running back Kenneth Gainwell. Um, when I see him play, just the overall view I have of him is that I see a little bit of a young Tiki Barber. And young Tiki Barber was really little more than a scat back and a return specialist who fumbled a lot. And then he developed into a terrific ball carrier with terrific ball security thanks to his, you know, diligence and the, and the efforts of Tom Coughlin and became an MVP caliber running back, especially like middle to late half part of his career was just absolutely fantastic. And Gainwell moves a little bit like Tiki Barber. He can catch the ball really well. Um, he's one of those guys that like at Memphis, we've seen with Antonio Gibson and with Tony Pollard, that they like to move their running backs around and use them in the slot, use them split wide, do a lot of RPO work with them, but also even target them downfield. And when you watch Gainwell as a receiver, one of the things he does extremely well, or he did extremely well at Memphis in 2019, you know, if you don't realize Gainwell did opt out due to the pandemic, so he didn't play at all in 2020. But when watching his 2019 tape, did a fantastic job on back shoulder fades. Knows how to really make that late turn, get his hands out, catch the ball, maybe even jump back for the ball, and then pull, use the pull down to turn away. And his transitions downhill, very pro-like in that ability, whether it's an out route or a back shoulder. He, he had a very good feel and understanding that as soon as you catch that ball, turn up field. And he gained a lot of yards because of the fact that he understood that, didn't try to square up a defender or hesitate. He'd often just run through contact because the defender wasn't ready for such a quick transition downhill. So that's really a nice skill of his, and he tracks the ball well um, overall. I mean, over his shoulder, he can be a vertical option for you if you need him to be, um, but he's also a good guy that you can use underneath. The biggest part of his game as a receiver that concerns me is that he's a bit of a ball clapper. And, you know, there are there are players who have succeeded when they clap onto the ball. Um, but the problem with that is that when the target arrives over their head or at helmet level, 
or over the shoulder where you have to get both hands up to meet the ball and oftentimes have to do it late in your turn or in, late in that point where you're in your break and have to adjust. One of the problems that Gainwell has is that he will he won't get both hands up together so that they're in a position to meet the ball. He'll his hands will be coming from opposite directions and they wind up clapping onto the ball just like any little kid who's just learning how to catch a ball and they miss it and it either bounces off their hands or goes through their hands because they don't time it right and it hits them on the head or in the chest. Well, Gainwell has that problem on those types of targets. And those are the, you know, those are the types of targets that are the difference between being a, a top receiver at your position in the NFL and being a guy that you, you're not going to rely on for those high impact plays. So if Gainwell can fix that, he could be the type of weapon that Memphis, that the NFL would use in the same way that Memphis used. But see, in the NFL, you're going to be facing tighter coverage. You're going to have more difficult targets to attack, and they expect you to make those catches. And if you're going to go up and clap on the ball, you're really increasing the odds of dropping the football. And so that's something he's got to fix. But really, the big thing with Gainwell is the, the most variable thing about him is that if he can grow and add an additional man weight, he's listed at 191 at least entering the season before he opted out. If he can add that weight and get into that 210, 215 pound range, and I know that sounds like a lot. I mean, we're talking like 20, 25 pounds. But if he can do that and add more burst to his frame, then he could very well be a good, a really good lead back in the NFL because he'd have that that lead back size that you're looking for. And the reason that I'm, I would emphasize that that's going to be the important part for him is that at 191, he's fast, but the from what I've seen of the hype about him that he's you know a breakaway threat, I don't see that on tape. What I see is a lot of long runs, but they're aided by really the formations that he's facing, where he is on the field when he gets the ball, and he gets chased down a lot by linebackers. Um, now, he's fast enough to be a starter, don't get me wrong, but he's not a breakaway threat by an NFL standard. He's the type of back that will get you 40 to 60 yard gains on occasion, but he's not the type of back like Saquon Barkley or Nick Chubb that if you play the wrong defense against them or you have a bust in containment or assign your assignments aren't sound that they can take it 80, 90 yards or take, you know, and do that kind of thing on you. Gainwell isn't that kind of speedster. Um, he's very quick, though. Um, and I think that, you know, you look at his ability to be patient to the crease, know when to attack it, know when to set up um, leverage and make the the small adjustments with footwork to get through the crease. He does that really well. He has more physicality than what his size um, you know, may indicate he's a guy that 
while I don't think he's absolutely like a grinded out Jonathan Taylor pile pusher um, at 191, I think that if he does add weight, he can develop into a guy that I would say even if he's in the 205 to 210 range, he might make a compelling case to an NFL team that he could be the lead guy, um, especially if they have the kind of um, running game that is, you know, fits what he does well. And I think what he does well is a lot of the stuff that you would see with Alvin Kamara. You know, you'd see some gap runs, some outside zone toss plays, you know, get them on the edges or have some quick hitting plays where, you know, draws and delays where they spread the field some as well. Use them in the screen game. I think all those things could work out very well for him. So to me, that's the big indicator is, is he young enough that he can add that weight? And, and can he do it and 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 actually add a little bit more acceleration to his game? Because he has very good acceleration, but I think if he can add a little more explosion with that muscle mass, and that usually happens, he might have elite-level explosion at that point. And then you're talking about a guy who vaults up from someone that I would say is projected from my perspective as a you know, a committee back who can contribute and and give you some nice contributions depending on the offense to being a guy who might have a future as a lead back and NFL starter. Now, of course, one thing that he's going to have to do is cut down on the fumbles. He carries the ball high to his chest, really tight to his chest, um, does a great job of that. But he's had his fair share of fumbles even with that technique, because his elbow gets loose. And when you have a loose elbow, defenders can can chop on that ball, and the ball just squirts out, you know, just right through that space at the elbow. So he's going to have to fix the ball clapping. He's going to have to fix, you know, the, uh, the elbow. And if he can get a little bit bigger, then he could hit his ceiling. But overall, I think, you know, this is a guy that one of the things that I love is his he's just an elusive, smart, player love his jump stop spin combo this is something that you'll see a lot in his game he can do this between the tackles he can do it in the open field may want to cut down on it a little bit or cut down on his desire to make that extra move sometimes Um, in the open field he'll try a little bit too hard rather than take what's there Um, but if he can fix that a little bit another thing that would be helpful is that if he doesn't fit as a runner maybe he, he's not able to add that weight. I think there's potential for him that a team could look at him and say, you know what, let's see if we can make you a slot receiver. And maybe in a couple of years, he could develop as a route runner well enough to become a really good slot receiver. I know it's unusual for that to happen, but we've seen it with guys like Eric Medcalf and Julian Edelman, who was a quarterback. So Gainwell, I think, has that option to his game if the running back thing doesn't work out. All right. Another player that is, I don't think he's variable, but I think he's going to have his, he's going to have his share of people who are real fans of him. And that's Jarrett Patterson of Buffalo. 
let me tell you, I really wanted to love Jared Patterson because when you watch his game, he has this low center of gravity and he can he's just really smart between the tackles. You see how well he sets up runs, whether it's zone or gap. He's someone that has great short area quickness um, and you see these gains on tape where he has like these 50, 60, 70 yard runs and looks like he's a breakaway option. And I thought, wow, this guy just on the surface, maybe he has that profile of a D'Angelo Williams, you know, short, but kind of a mighty mouse kind of guy, like short, but not um, small and someone who can hold up between the tackles if a team wanted to use them, kind of like how the Carolina used them early in their career and then how Pittsburgh used Williams later in his career. But the more I watched Jarrett Patterson, the more I realized that despite the great movement skills, the low center of gravity, the smart running, he just doesn't have that top-notch acceleration and top-end speed. And while you guys know if you have been listening to this podcast or reading the RSP for any length of time, you know that I'm, I've long been a proponent of not overrating speed um, with running backs. But if you're shorter, smaller, not a, you know, not a top-end tackle breaker, and you lack the compensatory skills that you need to be a starter and for a back like Patterson who's not you know an earth mover he's he has to have that speed and acceleration and his game is predicated a lot on change of direction movement and acceleration and while his speed and acceleration are good enough for you know college football he gets chased down a lot by linebackers and safeties and cornerbacks. He doesn't maintain that separation. He can flip the field on a well-blocked play in the NFL. That's what my projection would be. But he again, he's not that threat that Williams was to take it to the house on any play early in Williams' career. So when I look at Patterson, despite the fact that he can do some really nice work at that first and second level where he finds the crease, weaves his way into the second hole, finding the second hole between the tackles and or really at the second level where it's that transition between the front line and the linebackers, finding that second hole and coming out into the secondary and zigzagging around players, being able to bend and slide laterally to avoid outside um, pursuit that's coming inside and he can just kind of slide right under them and crab walk away from them, do some really slick work that way. Without that acceleration to extend plays, I think you're looking at a committee back, a, a player who could be good enough to be a starter for a team, but the team will be looking for someone to pair him with because he just doesn't have that next gear that you want from a lead back. At least that's what teams want. They're 
they they want that threat. They want defenses to respect the fact that they can't, um, you know, that they that they that he may they got to respect the fact that he might be able to stretch the field on them, you know, outside or inside. And I just don't think Patterson has enough of that athletic ability to be able to do that. So expect a guy who will be a nice contributor for a team if he shows enough with his short area um, quickness and just enough acceleration to do the job that he did at Buffalo. But if not, the variability with him is if he's not quite as athletic in the ways that I'm even modestly projecting, he could be at the end of a depth chart. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but I do think that he's closer to being just a guy than he is to being a star. And there are a lot of people that see him as a sleeper. And I think you know, I understand it and and I've been there. But after watching this game for a while and studying players for a while, I, I have to say he's a guy, again, that I wanted to love but just ended up liking. So who else is on that list in terms of players that, you know, fit that? I'd say Larry Roundtree, the third. He's probably the player that I find the most frustrating. This is a running back out of Missouri. He had a good first day at the Senior Bowl. Apparently, um, Daniel Jeremiah really liked what he did in terms of decision-making on that first day, which is hard, as he admittedly said, hard to tell in practices. And that's true. It's hard to tell in practices oftentimes. But on nine on sevens, he said he liked what he saw. When I watch Roundtree, look, he has the size. He's 210. He's five. He's five foot ten. He has the quickness, the short area change of direction. He has really dynamic footwork. He can jump, cut, and jump, stop, and zigzag around defenders. He can spin. He has the hip mobility to open up and bounce plays outside and get outside of safety shooting creases on perimeter plays. And he's a tough runner. He can run over linebackers. He can get a push on defensive tackles and defensive ends. He'll drop the pads and win tough short yardage situations. And he'll attack hard in the crease. He's one of those guys that you'll see him attack small creases and leap through them. He'll leap over the pile. He's he's someone that has a terrific stiff arm that he can put really all three levels worth of defenders on the ground with the placement and strength of his stiff arm. And he's he's a guy that gets outside pretty easily. He, you know, he can get outside to the far side or the near side on perimeter runs, whether it's toss or a power play or a sweep. He does that well. He finds cutbacks. He's a very good cutback runner and identifies those creases too. And he reads leverage well. And one of the things that he does well that, that I think a lot of people don't understand about running is that you have a line that you're taking oftentimes. You know, you see where the crease is and you see the line between where you are 
the crease and where the next defender is or if there's no defender at all. And you're hoping that you can just hit that in a straight line for as long as possible. But often what happens is as you enter the crease, there's some traffic that may come in, some pursuit or somebody comes into the picture that may disrupt that line. And there are a lot of backs. Anthony McFarlane from last year is a good example of that. And I profiled this in my RSP uh, website and on YouTube about what would Frank Gore do using the Frank Gore tape as well as Anthony McFarlane tape with similar plays and showing the difference in terms of how a savvy veteran and master craftsman would approach his a disturbance to his line versus a rookie who was a much better athlete in terms of quickness, agility, and speed. When you looked at McFarlane, what he often did both at Maryland and with the Steelers was the minute he saw something disrupt that line, he would veer way off course, like two, three gaps off course, trying to bounce it all the way outside. When all he really had to do was just veer one gap over and then correct back to the gap that he was on once he got away from the obstacle. And Frank Gore did that fantastically well at the ripe old age that he's at in relative to what a running back age is and did it multiple times this year effectively. McFarlane would run off two, three gaps away and end up taking a loss. And when you watch a guy like Roundtree, he does what Frank Gore does pretty well. He can veer quickly to one side away from the, from the, um, the obstruction or obstacle and then veer back along that track once he passes it. There's, there's some maturity there with his game. So what's so frustrating about him? I've said all these good things about him. The problem is, is that on there are enough plays in his film portfolio where he just doesn't make the right decision. He's like one cut. He's either making one cut too many, whether he, he should be cutting back when he doesn't, or he maintains his line outside when there's a clear cut back to the inside that's right in front of him, and he either sees it and ignores it or doesn't see it because He's so um, focused on an outside lane that actually has bad leverage or unfavorable leverage for him to keep attacking. Or you'll see him try and bounce plays outside or reverse field in situations where it's just clear that he should have just taken what he can get. And he has plays on tape where he can take what he can get. But after stunning, I think, 10 games of his at this point, I, I found myself wanting to yell at the screen sometimes because he'll make some fantastic runs. And then he'll have runs like these where you just, you know, you look at, at them and think, there's going to be coaches that say, we can't rely on him to make the right decision down after down to be our starter right now. Maybe he can fix some of that. But it's the, even if it's, two or three plays a game, those plays can carry enough weight that a, that a coach or a coaching staff may look at that and just say, not reliable enough for him to be our starter unless we absolutely have to lean on him. And even then, you know, we the way they may coach or respond to him when he does this, if Roundtree isn't mature enough to figure out for himself how to fix it, he could lose his confidence because he's just going to feel like he's being punished 
and he'll overreact and become far more conservative than he should be. And he has almost the right balance between aggression and mature decision-making, but it's those three to four plays a game that I watch where the decision-making is just off. And oftentimes it's just a flash of a player coming across where he overreacts and tries to cut back and he doesn't maybe cut back three or four gaps over like a McFarland did, but he'll try and veer away when he should just continue forward because that flash of that player is far enough away that he should gain another three to five yards before he even has to deal with that guy. So some of those things with Roundtree are worth just noting because I think he's a good enough back that if he can correct these things, he could be a good lead ball carrier. There's things about him that remind me of a Melvin Gordon, maybe not as fast in the, um, you know, in terms of top speed, but Gordon never really had top speed. It was just overrated. And as we've seen with Gordon, he's never really been a breakaway guy. So Roundtree is a tough runner like Gordon. I think he moves well like Gordon does. There's there's some things to like about him that remind me that. If he can fix the maturity factor of decision-making, there's something there. Another guy who who is almost there but just not quite sold on the the speed and... I would say that's Kylan Hill. I I so much want to like Kylan Hill's game, and, and I think that he's in that same tier as guys like Roundtree and Gainwell, where you could see him on the field contributing. He's a terrific pass catcher. He makes some fantastic adjustments to the football, um, goes up and wins it. He can whether it's tight coverage or in zone coverage, fantastic with being able to make plays on the football, but then he'll have some drops that you just want to tear your hair out. Um, then there's the decision-making where he's he looks quick enough to get into the secondary, but I wonder how good that acceleration really is from an NFL perspective. So I hope there are some workouts where we can see some 20 shuttle um, drills and and three cone drills. But I, I like how hard he plays. I like the way that he attacks um, downfield. His movement is fantastic. He's got some excellent creativity when it comes to footwork. And I think that this year, you know, playing in that spread system, it was probably not the best match for him. I mean, he can play in a spread system, but he was used more as kind of the way that I'm trying to remember the coach. I know that, you know, everybody knows he's an iconic coach who coached at Washington state um, the past few years, who has this offense. That's, you know, the version of the, the kind of the spread that um it's late folks. It's like, six o'clock in the morning for me. And I've been up since, you know, earlier in the, uh, you know, probably early afternoon. So forgive me if I can't remember the name of the coach, but it'll probably come to me later on in this episode. But 
the the way they spread the field. He's used much more as an outlet receiver than he was used as a running back. And this is a guy that you want to use in pistol or allow him to run downhill. And while he can catch the ball very well, just you using him in that one way as an outlet guy is just a little too one-dimensional for him. And he's a guy that you want to get into a rhythm a little bit as a routine ball carrier. So I think with a team where he can do a little bit of both, he could be a valuable guy. I wouldn't be surprised if he grows into becoming a valuable committee back with maybe one or two seasons as a lead runner due to injury to a teammate or due to the fact that they don't have somebody else that's as as compelling and that he could have easily have a 1,100, 1,200-yard season in the NFL with the skills that he has. But I don't know if he's that guy that the team's going to say, we want to give him, we want him to be our starter for the next three to four years. And then if he gets a second contract somewhere, I don't, you know, I doubt that a team's going to look at him in that role either, unless they're just desperate for a running back for one year. So good player, not great player. Another one who I think people are very excited about in some areas and other areas, maybe not so much, is Chuba Hubbard or Chuba Hubbard, or I don't know how to pronounce the dude's name. You know, I haven't listened to the uh, to the broadcasts when they talk about his his name. I only see it in writing, so forgive me if I mispronounced his first name, but we'll say Chuba Hubbard, um, Oklahoma State running back. He reminds me a lot of a Tevin Coleman type of back um, with upside of becoming more of a Raheem Mostert type of player. And so it makes sense that 249ers he's being compared to. He's He has potential as an outside zone runner. I think he would be better in a gap scheme right now, mainly because he's a momentum-generated power back meaning that he needs a downhill runway to really be at his best at breaking tackles. He's He has you know tremendous speed and acceleration. Um, he played hurt this year. So you know a lot of the tape that you'll see maybe isn't his best in terms of athletic ability. Um, but when you turn on, you know when you see the decision making, I think he made better decisions this year. Um, I, and, and I would say that he's a guy that needs a system to really thrive and may need another year or two of seasoning to really make the most mature decisions because a lot of the plays you see him run are draw plays and delays. Um, and you're not seeing maybe the type of plays that offer or demand the sophistication that the NFL demands from a running back in terms of decision-making. There's enough on tape to see where he's heading and what he could do, but there aren't enough of those outside zone or between the tackles plays with certain types of defensive looks or problems that you'll see NFL defenders present to a running back. There's not enough of those you see on his tape to feel confident that he's ready right now for any system. 
So I think he can be a high leverage player that, like Tevin Coleman, can come in if you give him plays that give him simpler decisions, let him leverage that speed, that burst, that momentum generated power. I think he can be as good or better than Tevin Coleman because I think he's a little more ahead of the game than where Coleman was. Um, But I wouldn't be surprised if Hubbard is the guy that the analytics, like the fantasy analytics or the um, public media analytics group people may like him more than some of the film people. I could see where there's a spread between the, you know, a polarization between those two camps on their extremes when it comes to him. Like I could see, I could see where a film guy might go. I don't know how anyone could like this guy as much as it seems like he he's liked. And I could see the film people saying, I mean, the analytics people going, I don't know how you can't like this guy, you know? And I'm saying on the extremes, like the guys who don't watch any film and then the guys who, you know, and then the guys who don't, who watch film, but may not account for the fact that certain, that if you put a player in certain situations, they can do well. And if you put them in a small amount of situations that are high leverage, then you can look at the analytics of that player and see how that might be a good fit. A player that I would say, I just don't quite understand the love for him other than the sentiment and kind of a sentimental feel is Puka Williams, um, the Kansas running back. I, I get that he can be a dynamic mover and that he can be a scat back for you, but, or, or some sort of weapon in space, but I don't like his decision-making as a runner. I, I don't think that he's disciplined enough between the tackles. I think that there are situations where he doesn't see the field as well as he should when it comes to reading blocks or, or looking at the second level or reading keys. Um, I think he has, you know, obviously the sentimental love for him is that he, he this is a guy that, got in a lawnmower accident as a kid and had the toes basically cut off of his right foot. He has no toes on his right foot. But he, he basically, though he was told he'd never play sports again on, at a higher level, he ended up becoming a high school football star who just stuffed an extra sock in his shoe and was able to do do the work so well that his head coach didn't even know that that Puka Williams didn't have toes on his right foot until a teammate, um, you know, until a player on his team told the coach. Um, so the fact that he's even playing at a high level at Kansas is, you know, makes him a fan favorite and understandably so. Um, but I think this is a guy that I, I don't think he has the um, decision-making and sees the field well enough for him to be anything more than really a return specialist or an occasional, you know, situational guy who gets, you know, three to five looks per game. So if that's what he gets and he ends up being good in that situation, 
I'm happy for him. I hope that works out. Um, and I hope that he proves me way wronger and really, you know, develops into, into something more. But, uh, but he's a guy that I just don't see what I think other people see. Another one, another player like this that I think a lot of people are intrigued with, who I think has more promise, um, but I'm a little circumspect about is Demetric Felton of UCLA. A lot of love for him at the Senior Bowl because that he ran routes so well in practice. Not so much because he's a running back. You know, as they're saying, well, look at him, he could be a slot receiver. And that may well happen. Because when you watch him as a runner, he's what I would call a crease runner as opposed to a leverage runner. And I explained this on Twitter this weekend. It was something I just kind of thought of. And, and my old buddy Jay Moyer, um, uh, you know, a running back aficionado himself who works over at um, FF Astronauts now, you know, really loved this term when he saw it on Twitter. Because a, a crease runner is a guy who runs to open space, he uses his natural gifts to spot the open um, area and then hit that as quick as possible. To me, what that is, is the kind of the first level of decision-making as a runner. Leverage running is understanding the blocking scheme, knowing where the defenders are trying to go, seeing where their position is relative to the blocks, and influencing those defenders based on your position as you run towards the line of scrimmage so that you can then make a bounce out or cut back based on, you know, based on all of those things. So to me, crease running is kind of like arithmetic and leverage running is a little bit more like trig or calculus. There are a number of steps in between. Leverage runners can be crease runners because that's the baseline. But crease runners have a lot more to learn to become leverage runners. A guy who got a lot of love, who was a crease runner, was CJ Precise coming out of the draft. Great athlete, could catch the ball, loved what he could do as a receiver, played some receiver, and he looked, he had some really nice moments for Seattle as a rookie, but then got hurt. But as I've mentioned many times here at the RSP, cast and the RSP site old friend of the um, RSP Chad Spann coached up CJ Procise and uh, before the season to help him get familiar with the difference between crease running and leverage running and I can tell you I mean now that it's been a while I actually actually critiqued CJ Procise's game and when he was at Notre Dame and his brother contacted me about a week or two later and wanted to know if I knew of a trainer to recommend for him to work with. And I recommended him to Chad because what I critiqued Precise about was that he, you know, he needed to learn the nuances of running um, with certain types of schemes that he wasn't as um, advanced at. And he took my critique and showed it to Notre Dame's running back coach. And Notre Dame's running back coach said, he's absolutely right. So that's why his brother got in touch with me. And Procise had a good start to the year and then just couldn't stay healthy. But he learned to become more of a leverage runner or a better leverage runner. Frank Gore obviously is a great leverage runner. 
But uh, Demetric Felton right now is a crease runner. And while he, a lot of people say, well, he'll become a slot receiver, that's no guarantee. And I know that the Senior Bowl gives you a lot of opportunities to see what he does with route running. But remember, a lot of the routes that he would run are two-way goes um, or not, or they lack having a safety helping out over the top or you know he's not having to diagnose on the on the spot with his quarterback any type of adjustments all of the mental and technical considerations and changes that happen in the NFL in addition to what he showed at the senior bowl those that's kind of the unknown there so you know Felton to me is kind of a gadget player at this point who has terrific you know elusiveness and burst um, and he does run hard but there's just a limited spectrum of things that he can do right now he's more of a project for a team a high upside project for a team right now and maybe he can give you more in the slot early on and becomes a quick learner but that remains to be seen a guy that I do like and he kind of fits in the same range. There's two guys that I like and they fit in a range that I, I would call it the why Eddie Lacy and LeGarrette Blunt aren't bad words when we talk about running back prospects. Like they're not pejorative to say he's like Eddie Lacy or he's like LeGarrette Blunt. I know that fantasy players may think so, um, but it's kind of, I'll say it comes down to the Lendale White theory. You know, that might, I, I saw actually someone talk about one of these players, uh, Ramadre Stevenson, and somebody on Twitter had posted a picture of Lendale White as a comparison. Now, even if you're saying that Lendale White and, Lamont, and Ramadre Stevenson were similar in college, but you're saying that the way Lendale White turned out as a prospect means that Stevenson's going to be a failure, that tells you that you haven't done your work. Whether you're a fan, you don't remember, or you haven't read enough, or if you're an analyst, you certainly haven't done your homework. Because Lendale White was a good prospect in terms of what he could do on the field. He was quick enough. He was strong enough. He had enough burst until he ballooned up to a weight where he lost his conditioning and he was drinking because he spent a lot of time doing things that he shouldn't have done and he wasn't in optimal shape. He wasn't serious about playing pro football. So, you know, you can't make that comparison. It's just out of context um, and it gives you it's a really inaccurate way of looking at it. Same thing with Eddie Lacy with his weight issue. But if you look at Lacy and Blunt at their best, no, they're not speedsters. But they had excellent short area quickness. They had good vision. They had power. These guys could play. So when you talk about Ramondre Stevenson of Oklahoma and Steve Scott, Stevie Scott of um Indiana. These are two backs that I think they have a good chance to be 
strong committee backs, maybe lead backs in the league. Even I think Ramondre Stevenson has a real good shot to be a lead back in this league. Um, because of what I saw him do against Florida, listen, you know, there, you know, there's some tape out there of him on at Kansas and against Texas Tech, and it's impressive stuff. But against Kansas, you know, apparently, you know, it was late in the late in the game when he did a lot of this work, and he wasn't facing maybe starters, and some people will use that and use the you know use that as a a reason to to downgrade what the player did. And I understand that to an extent, though. I, you know, the way I scout players, it's really about what they do within their control because you can, you can face a bunch of all stars and have a huge success in terms of statistical success, and still not do enough to impress me in terms of what my criteria is for evaluating players. Or you could do awful statistically and just blow me away with what you've been able to do in terms of your decision-making movement, you know, your techniques. Um, and when I look at Ramadre Stevenson, you know, I, I think his burst and change of direction quickness are NFL caliber. He's a guy that repeatedly against Florida got to the shallow edge, had a cornerback with a terrific angle on him and contain and he was able to spin inside or outside of him, setting him up within a step uh, of the defender and being able to spin through and, and get to the open field without losing any type of balance and just continuing his stride. So when I look at a player like that who can you know, do these things repeatedly against you know, top athletes in the SEC and... He got chased down repeatedly, yes, but he was earning gains of 25, 30, 40 yards. He'd force safeties and cornerbacks to have to chase after him, and they had to spend 15 to 25 yards to cover ground. Whether it was, And I'm not talking from the opposite side of the field. Same side of the field, middle of the field. They saw to you know, cover that much ground to catch him. And he's not a... He's not a Brandon Jacobs or or Michael Bush type who earlier in their careers tried to run like scat backs. He has that scat back movement like LeGarrette Blunt, where he could open his hips and make cuts and bounce plays and and do things efficiently that way. But he also drops the pads and pushes piles and runs through contact and attacks defenders. So to me, Ramondre Stevenson is a viable guy to look at and say he's gonna he's gonna help out a team in a committee early on, but there a team may look at him and say we could use him as our lead back, and especially because he can catch catches the ball extremely well. Stevie Scott catches the ball well. He's also a good blocker. Um, I like the power that he shows. I think he has good movement as well. He didn't have quite the offensive line that Stevenson had um, in terms of the opening of creases. They weren't quite there this year. But again, from what I see of his decision-making, from what I see of how he plays the game, um, he's another guy that I think will make a roster and have an opportunity to see the field 
within the first two to three years of his career and maybe compete to make something more out of his opportunities or to get more opportunities because of how he competes. Um, and a guy certainly that I'd want to watch. All right, so these are some; those were some of the guys that you know could go one range to another in terms of a, you know having a little volatility to their games, um, but have some talent to them. Let's talk about somebody who I really like, and that's Khalil Herbert out of uh, Virginia Tech, who used to play at Kansas. Herbert's a guy that. I just love his smarts, his ball security, and he moves really well. He has great curvilinear movement in terms of the ability to bend at top speed. I've written about him in the RSP um, on the RSP site and made a video about him recently comparing his style to Dalvin Cook's. I don't think he's as good as Dalvin Cook, but I certainly think you should be keeping an eye on him. I think he's an underrated commodity who could develop into a co-starter or maybe even a lead back if he really continues to develop his game because the movement and and speed at which he can make these moves and without really losing any of that speed makes him really dangerous and um, there's another back in this class that I'm not going to talk about today um but also has great curvilinear movement, and I think it sets him apart from most of the backs um, on the board. But Khalil Herbert is one of them too, and he's pretty high up on my list. I think he's a guy that can become a starter. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see if he can handle the physicality of the game at the NFL level. If he does... And certainly there's some metrics out there where people studied that he's had a lot of yards after contact. He's broken a lot of tackles. Um, that if he can translate to that to the NFL, I think he'll surprise people. Speaking of surprises, I think I'll give forewarning. Don't be surprised. I'm not saying it will happen, but just from you know, from what I've seen thus far. Don't be surprised if Javante Williams is a little lower in my rankings than many people would expect. I had somebody say, I think that you're going to like Javante Williams as much as you like Nick Chubb. And I understand why they said that because, look, you know, there's lots of runs where he's just plowing through um, safeties and cornerbacks and he's having these breakaway runs where he just looks like he's manhandling people and I think he's going to be a good back I think he has what it takes to be a good lead back and and in fact I would say there are backs I have ranked ahead of him who may not have the profiles to be lead backs but are more versatile and could be as or more productive in the right scheme um, not that Williams isn't versatile it's just that some of these players might be a little bit more versatile than him um, so, but I think the way that most teams will view Williams, it's easier to envision him fitting with what they need him to be, to be a lead back and eventually a feature back. So I have him rated and scored in that tier. So it's not like I'm saying he isn't a future lead and feature back. And I think he can be a good one. 
I just think his pass protection needs some work. Um, I still have questions about the degree of his contact balance with certain situations and the, and really, well, not as many of that, but probably more than anything, speed and acceleration in certain situations. I want to see a little bit more and I've watched a lot of his tape already, but, um, but there's, I have a couple notes left that I want to see, but right now where it's heading, I could see where he's, he's a little lower on my board than a lot of people would probably have. Cause I think a lot of people see him as maybe the top back or one of the top three to four backs and he's close but he might not make it there for me, even if he has a starter grade. A guy who's grown on me and I think has really improved, and I mentioned him earlier um, in the past couple of weeks on my side, is Travis Etienne. He's really grown on me. And I know that sounds weird because a lot of people are like, well, he's been the top back all along or one of the top two backs all along. Um, not for me. Because I, watching him the first couple of years, he had the same kind of issues that a lot of Clemson backs do, which is Clemson likes to recruit top athletes, sprinters who can really run, and then they lean too much on their athletic ability and they don't have the maturity to to maximize gains and on a play-to-play basis. They take too many risks. But Etienne has become a much more efficient runner and this year he really proved that he could be mature he didn't lean as hard on his athletic ability to try and bounce plays outside and then end up losing yardage for his team he did a much better job of taking what was there and showing that he could just be aggressive downhill and break tackles or push piles or bounce off hits so, and he's figured out how to maximize the potential of his power. He's not a big dude. I mean, he's 200, what, 200, 205 pounds, maybe. Maybe he's going to be 210. But he reminds me of backs like Reggie Bush and Chris Johnson. Speedsters with excellent quickness and movement, but who also understand how to get downhill and win tough. He catches the ball well. He's one of my top backs. I mean, he's going to be, if he's not at the top of my board, he's going to be very, very close to it. Um, And a guy that I will have an easy time um, recommending. And, And I would say that he would have been one of the top two to three backs in 2020's class based on his score this year. And a lot of it has to do with him staying in school this year. And I'm glad he stayed in school. I know a lot of people bemoaned the idea about him staying in school and wondered why he did it. Well, from what I saw on tape for the first two years or three years and what I saw this year, I know why he did. And he made a great choice to do so. So definitely Etienne, I'm a big fan of what I saw there. Um, uh, just an ending note here. Bryant Robinson is a guy that um, 
I think is interesting. I have no earthly idea why you'd want Deion Lewis compliment to Derrick Henry um, if you don't have a Derrick Henry backup to Derrick Henry in Tennessee. Now, Deonta Foreman could be that back. I, I, I saw some hints of the old Deonta Foreman when um, you know he came to the Titans last year, and if he can continue to move in the right um, direction, that's a good backup for them. But if they need someone to compete for that role, because they really who they drafted in the past few years, not gonna do, not gonna be that guy for Henry. Brian Robinson could be that guy. I think he has. You know, he has good downhill um, quickness in terms of acceleration. He's a good one-cut runner, whether it's gap or zone. Um, He's someone that can get outside. He breaks tackles. He has a good feel for being able to press and cut back. Um, And I think he's agile enough to be a a good NFL backup who can be a, a strong starter for a team for stretches that matches up to his skills in the way that the Titans do. So as you can see, you know, we've hit our hour. I haven't really talked about some of the backs that you probably hoped I would. Well, you know, I'm teasing you because the RSP is coming up and, you know, I'm not going to give all that away. Why would I? And I, and the answer too is that I just really I want to finish up before I give any definitive rankings about players. But the players I didn't mention that you probably hoped I did, a lot of those guys are going to be near or at the top of my board, and I'll be talking about them plenty, especially uh, you know within the next couple of months. So I hope though that you got a chance to talk hear about some players that maybe you haven't heard enough about and to get a sense of what their games are or what may be lacking. Um, And, you know, I'll probably try and do this again with wide receivers and quarterbacks down the line. Um, But, you know, I'm hard at work at putting together the 2021 rookie scouting portfolio. I appreciate, you know, those of you who are longtime subscribers and those of you who are, who've been listening to this show on a regular basis and giving feedback. Um, It's always nice to, to be able to hear from you and have your, you know, have your time and and have you us as a priority for you to listen to. So uh, on behalf of guys like Mark Schofield and Russ Landy, who I'll be doing shows with, you know, throughout the draft season, and we're gonna have Jay Moyer on too to talk about running backs down the line. Um, we thank you. You guys have a good day.